This is MMA Torch editor Jamie Pennick, and I am joined today by Torch columnist Matt Pelkey. This is the return of the Torch Audio update for a review of tomorrow night's UFC 109 card from Las Vegas, Nevada. Matt, we've been on a bit of a hiatus here, but uh, we're back and ready to shake off the rust here. How you been doing? I've been doing good. Good to be back. Uh, this isn't the most exciting card to return to, but um, hey, it's fight, so we'll see what we can do. Hey, you know what? We between Spike TV and uh, Pay Per View, we've got seven fights that uh, that will air for sure. And uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of fights on this card that lend themselves to quick finishes, so we could see even more of uh, of the eleven fight card. So for those that tune in, you know, I think it'll be another event where at the end of the night you're not disappointed in your pur- purchase but it, it doesn't lend itself to a whole lot of people saying hey I need to see that card I'm going to pay for it um, that, that's kind of how I'm seeing it you know it, it, it's another one of those like UFC 108 where if you decide to purchase it you're probably going to be happy with your purchase if you don't it's not the most um, intriguing matchups it doesn't have the most um, fights set for ramifications in any division outside of um Son and Marquardt, and perhaps Couture Coleman should Randy come out the victor because he will likely uh, get a title shot in that division. But right now, it you know it's just a bunch of put together because they've got an event and they've got uh, something to put on, and and we're really kind of treading water until the Australia de- debut later this month, and then um, the stellar string of events we've got coming up starting in March. Yeah, I like your optimism. I don't necessarily share it with you. Um, just looking over my picks just now, I actually have seven of the 11 fights going to decision, which, I mean, certainly I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's a lot like UFC 108. But looking at, at the matchmaking, it almost feels like uh, this card is going to kind of lend itself to some boring fights. Now, certainly we could be surprised and, and get some, some action-packed fights and, and some early finishes and there's, there's certainly a lot of good stuff on the undercard that I really want to see, but the main card, I think, is one of the, the weakest I've seen in recent memory. Um, whereas at UFC 108, you had fights like uh, Junior Dos Santos, Gilbert Ival, and uh, Dustin Hayes with Paul Daly that were almost guaranteed fireworks going in. I don't really see any fight like that on this card. Uh, I don't have any, any fight uh, ending by knockout or TKO. I have all decisions and submissions. Now, certainly, uh, that's a long shot that I'm going to be right on all those, obviously, um, as my prediction record speaks for itself. But um, I just feel like, you know, and you said it, this, this this year really gets started uh, in a couple of weeks with UFC 110. I really like the looks of that card. Um, and, and then beyond that, you know, we've got a bunch of title fights coming up and a lot of stuff to look forward to, so... Just kind of in a holding pattern with this card. This was the, the second card in a row where it was just kind of thrown together of we need to put a fight card out there and here's what we got. So hopefully it, it exceeds my expectations, but uh, I'm going in with low expectations. Well, uh, you know, I, I do have low expectations for the card, but I, I'm a little, like, a, like you said, you're not as optimistic as I am. I, I do see a lot more finishes um, in the matchups here that are possibilities, but again, um, I, I could see that a lot of these matchups go to the judges' scorecards as well. Uh, I, I, I'm hoping for um, some of these guys to, to, to pull out finishes on, on the night's card just to uh, see a lot more 
uh, of what's on the undercard because I'm, I'm in agreement in agreement with you that there are some uh, interesting matchups, at least from an undercard standpoint, on the undercard that I would like to see make the broadcast. So uh, maybe maybe that has swung my um, desire to see a, a few more finishes um, towards my predictions on that. So let's start with the Spike TV prelims because uh, we'll we'll kind of run down more of what we're actually going to see and then get some quick picks on the the four fights that are on the untelevised prelims. But we'll start with Melvin Gillard getting back in action against, uh, I'm not sure if it's Ronis Torres. He's Brazilian, so let's go with Hannes on this one. We'll go Hannes Torres and Melvin Gillard. Uh, Torres is a 14-1 prospect that was supposed to make his debut last April against Gillard. And he's a uh, Nova Unal fighter along with Jose Aldo and uh, many others. He's a um, a highly regarded prospect, but he had a major knee injury that he's coming off of, uh, a lengthy time in between fights, and Melvin Gillard has switched his camp to Greg Jackson's camp um, and and is looking to, uh, you know, make good on a lot of the promise that he's uh, he's shown early in his career and at different times um, with both just his physical aspects and uh, the talent that he does have with the game. Uh, I see this one going with a, a Gallard TKO in the first round. I think the, the layoff is going to have a major effect with Torres along with coming off that knee injury. I think Gallard's uh, training camp with uh, Greg Jackson is going to have a major effect on him. And I, I, I think he's going to have a good fight and a good uh, uh, appearance here. I think it's going to be a rebound fight after. He was looking good against Nate Diaz until he just completely gave that uh, guillotine choke to him. So uh, I, I think Gallard's going to uh, finish this one off. I think he's going to make it a, a quick night for, for Torres in his debut. But I think we're going to see a lot more of Torres in the future, uh, you know, after he gets his legs back under him and gets um, – get some more fight experience after a lengthy injury layoff um, has has kind of set him back. Um, well, right off the bat, I think uh, this is going to be the first of probably several disagreements uh, between us just going on uh, our overall thoughts of what we're going to see out of this card. Um, I like Torres in this fight, and, and I I like him as, as one of my most confident picks in this on this card. Um his his strengths just absolutely play into Melvin Gillard's weaknesses, and I've I've kind of given up hope on Melvin Gillard uh, fulfilling that promise that we've been seeing from him for the last three or four years. Uh, moving to Greg Jackson, that's that's a great step in the right direction, but I'm not uh, convinced that you know one training camp uh, at a good camp is going to all of a sudden turn around turn everything around and, and make him a a competent grappler for that for that matter. Uh, Torres just needs to get this fight to the ground. He's not going to be interested in, in getting into a, a firefight on the feet with uh, with Melvin Gillard. Uh, not many people at 155 are. Um, Melvin Gillard just kind of feels like a lightweight version of Sokaju to me. He looks he looks great the first few minutes when he comes out, but it almost seems like it's inevitable when you get him a little deeper into the fight that if, if you're really a competent, strong grappler, that uh, all you got to do is get it to the mat, and, and he's gonna he's gonna tap out eventually. So uh, that's how I see this one going. I think Torres gets the the victory with a first round submission. Um, I, I, I was actually quite surprised to see Melvin Gillard as a slight favorite uh, on the betting coming into this fight because Torres is a pretty highly touted prospect. 
as as long as Melvin Gillard has been in the UFC, he doesn't really have any great victories to his credit. I mean, his his best win is is arguably a, a contested decision victory over uh, Gleason Tebow. So uh, Torres, I, I think he's 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 faced mostly uh, Brazilian in competition in Brazil. So this is certainly going to be a, a big step. Uh, in his progression, uh, making his debut uh, against Melvin Gillard uh, on Spike TV. So, you know, a few million people are going to see it. That's got to be a big deal to him. But he's 14-1. and one. He's not new to the sport. He's been around for a while. Uh, and I think this is going to be a, a very successful debut for him, and, and he's going to go on to be a, a contender in the lightweight division sooner rather than later. You know, I don't disagree with you on, uh, you know, Torres' strengths definitely playing into – Gillard's weaknesses, and the fact that if this fight does go to the ground, Torres very much is going to have a major advantage and uh, likely could submit Gillard, but he is going to have to withstand that early onslaught from Gillard, and I I think with the injury layoff and and the knee injury and all of that, um, and and Gillard's kind of newfound confidence with Greg Jackson's camp, I'm going to buy into it a little bit, and I, I, I don't think that Torres is going to be able to get it to the ground um, I, I think it's going to be a quick night for him. Uh, but if I'm wrong on that and it goes further than that, I'm with you 100% that Torres is going to pull this out. I just don't think uh, – I, I think Gillard's going to be able to um, finish it off before he has to answer those questions. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. I mean, it really is dependent on whether or not Torres can get it to the ground, and that's not a given. Um Certainly, with the athleticism that Melvin Gillard poses, he has pretty decent takedown defense. It almost seems like he usually makes mental errors that allow people to get him in positions on the ground. Um, and maybe, maybe working with Greg Jackson will be, uh, you know, can make those tweaks that that maybe that's all he needs to start living up uh, to his potential. But Gillard, for me now, has become a until I see it, I'm, I'm not going to believe it anymore. Move, moving on to uh, the other Spike TV prelim bout. Mac Danzig against Justin Buckholtz. Um, this is a do-or-die fight for both fighters. Danzig has lost three straight. Buckholtz has won in three in the UFC. Uh, Danzig, as the season six winner of the Ultimate Fighter, is at risk of being the first Ultimate Fighter winner to find himself out of the UFC with a loss here. And, and you know, he's even said as much if he can't beat Justin Buckholtz, he doesn't think he belongs in the UFC. I think this one is going to be a return to finishing form for Mac Danzig, who, uh, you know, two of his last three losses have come by decision in fights that, you know, he had spots in them where he could have won. Um, I, I, I think he, he makes quick work of Justin Buckholtz here, uh, takes the first-round submission in this one. I, I just don't think that Buckholtz has anything um, to offer Mac Danzig in, the ter- in terms of, um, you know, a, a dangerous uh, thing against what Danzig brings to the table. Buckholz is not Clay Guida. He's not Nate Diaz. He's not one of these other guys that can pull uh, pull something off against Danzig here. I, I think this one is Danzig's to lose all the way, and I think he finds a way to finish this one quickly. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Danzig is a is a smart fighter, and he'll fight a smart fight here. Um, I, I basically see this as Justin Buckholz is a is pretty good for a bottom rung. UFC lightweight and Mac Danzig, I think it's pretty good for a middle rung UFC lightweight. So I think he's just kind of on a uh, a little bit higher of a level than uh, Buckles here. Um, you know, on the feet, I'd say it's probably about 
uh, Danzig has pretty decent boxing, pretty decent stand-up, uh, and a pretty good chin. Um, but on the ground, he's got a big advantage, and um, Mac Danzig isn't the type of fighter to, to let pride get in the way and, and want to stand and bang with somebody when he knows his job is on the line. So uh, this one seems pretty academic to me. Um, I, I think it lasts a little longer than you have, but, but see it uh, ending the same way. I've got Danzig by submission to the second round. Moving on to the main pay-per-view card, uh, the opening bout I believe will be Matt Serra and Frank Trigg. Uh, this is a fight between two, you know, longtime veterans of the sport. Trigg did not look very good in his bout against Josh Koscheck, um in his UFC return last August. Matt Serra hasn't fought since uh, the loss to Matt Hughes last May, which he arguably could have won. Um, I, I think Serra's got a lot more left in the tank than Trigg does at this point. Uh, you know, Sarah, outside of the uh, brutal knees by George St. Pierre in their rematch and the, um, you know, the famous spinning back that's from Shoney Carter, he hasn't been finished in his career outside of those two fights, uh, whereas Frank Trigg has been finished in all seven of his losses uh, and most of them by submission. Uh, you know, I, I think Sarah's just, he's a very good ground fighter. Um, I, I would put him above Frank Trigg there. His hands certainly can put Trigg to the ground, um, much like uh, Josh Koscheck did. Sarah doesn't have the striking ability that Koscheck does right now. I think Sarah's uh, striking got a bit overblown with his victory over St. Pierre when he caught him, but uh, Sarah's ground game is excellent. I think he puts Trigg away in the second by submission here. Um, I, I just I think Sarah's an overall better fighter at this point in both of their careers. And I think Sarah's got more left in the tank than Trigg does. And, uh, you know, Twinkle Toes is getting choked out in this one. Yeah, I honestly don't think either of these guys really have much left in the tank. Um, I think both like selling fights and and both like getting that paycheck. Uh, But both have have things that they can do outside of the sport. And I think it's time for them to to kind of fully embrace those those roles. Um, Frank Trigg is is pretty good uh, in a color commentary role as he was uh, with Pride. Uh, and Matt Sarah is is a, an MMA coach. I mean, that's what that's what he should be doing. Um, we saw it on the Ultimate Fighter. He's he's very good at, at coaching his fighters, and and that's certainly what he's going to do when he decides to hang it up for good. But I mean, it almost seems like Matt Sarah, you know, he only fights like once a year, once every couple of years. So it's not like he's really an active fighter anyway. He just kind of pops up here and there when when there's a a check to be made. Um, uh, I'm with you that I think Sarah's hands got a little overrated after knocking out GSP. He, he has uh, good natural power in his hands, um, which is something you can't teach. But at the same time, he when he's standing with somebody, he's just kind of relying on, well, hopefully I'll catch somebody with a shot at some point. Um, on the ground, certainly his submissions are better than Frank Trigg. But I think Trigg has a, a wrestling advantage in this one, and I and I don't really see either fighter being finished in this fight. Um, I see Trigg knowing that he's going to be out the door with another loss and wanting to stick around for at least one more fight, um, you know, trying to work in takedowns here and there and playing it safe, avoiding submissions. Uh, unlike Matt Hughes, who just kind of took Matt Sarah down and, and held him there, I think Frank Trigg will posture up and, and land a lot more shots. I don't think it'll ever come close to being finished in this fight. Um, Matt Sarah can can certainly take a beating. He's proven that uh, he can take a beating better than Frank Trigg. I think Trigg is just going to put himself in advantageous positions in this fight. 
Uh, I see him working a lot of takedowns and just kind of outworking Matt Sarah for 15 minutes and, and taking a relatively uh, dull decision victory in this one. All right, another one we're in disagreement about. I, I like it, I like it, I like it. Moving on to Demi and Maya and Dan Miller. Um, you know, we've got two Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt fighters. Miller just received his last month, um, but he's he's still a legit black belt. He's got a, a good uh, ground game, a good submission game, but it's nowhere near on the level of Demi and Maya. At the same time, neither of these fighters are really... Um, you know, known for their striking at all. This is, I, I don't see this being one of those grappler versus grappler fighter or grappler versus grappler matchups. So we're, we're gonna sit and swing for the fences against each other. I don't see this being one of those. This is gonna be a grappling match through and through. And I think Demi and Maya is just uh, uh, too good um, uh, on the ground and, and too creative on the ground. He's gonna find a way to submit uh, uh, Miller in this fight, and I think he does it in the third round in what I hope will be a very, very exciting grappling match as opposed to um, a very boring one, which is the other end of that stick. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you completely on this one. Um, I, I also think we're going to get a, a grappling match in this one, which which is fun to watch. I think this is going to be just like Damian Maia's fight with uh, Jason McDonald, which was, was an excellent fight. Um, I see this one ending in the second round. I don't see... Uh, Van Miller being able to fend off submissions for, you know, over 10 minutes. Um, but I also don't see him being able to, to keep it on the feet and punish Damian Maya like, uh, Nate Marklor did either, which you know, that was just a single blow. But I think we can agree that that's probably how that fight was going to play out anyway. Um, but in this one, I, I think it's going to be a, contested a, a lot on, the ground, I think Dan Miller would prefer to keep it on the feet because that's where he has the advantage, but he's also more comfortable fighting on the ground just in general. So when they get clinched up against the fence and, and Maya pulls guard or gets a trip takedown or something like that, that's going to be fine. Dan Miller's going to think that's that's a fine place to be, but he's going to he's going to learn that there's different levels of being a black belt. There's you know, just got your black belt like Dan Miller, and there's, uh, you know, world-class black belt like Damian Maya. So I see this one ending uh, second-round submission victory for uh, Damian Maya. Moving on to a welterweight bout between Paulo Tiago and the third member of uh, the American Kickboxing Academy that he has faced in Mike Swick. Uh, this, of course, is supposed to be uh, Josh Kostrak against Paulo Tiago in a rematch of uh, Tiago's debut where he upset Kostrak with that flash knockout um, that, you know, there is an argument that that could have been stopped a bit early. We've discussed that one in the past, but uh, regardless, Tiago won that fight, lost a tough decision to John Fitch, but proved proved more than uh, enough that he's got a decent ground game, at least defensively, against a very good John Fitch, and then pulled out a victory against another grappler in Jacob Volkman um, in a decision there. He's got a lot of dangerous tools against uh, a fighter like Mike Swick, and he's going to test Swick's ground uh, acumen. But you know what? Swick also is a guy that trains with uh, world-class fighters like John Fitch and uh, Josh Koscheck on a daily basis. Swick is not one of my favorite fighters, not one of the guys I'm really excited to watch whenever he's on a card. But i got to give him respect as uh, the fighter that he is, and I, I think he's a better fighter than Paulo Tiago at this point. I think his striking is a lot better and uh, I think he'll find a way to connect on 
the shot that he needs to to put Tiago out in the second round. Uh, I think he's a better fighter than um, or a better striker than John Fitch is, and won't be looking to sit and grapple with Tiago for three rounds. And I, I think he's going to find a way to put Tiago out in this one. Well, I think we can agree that uh, neither of these guys are going to be bringing a whole lot of surprises to this fight. Uh, obviously, Mike Swick has two guys to train with that have faced Paulo Tiago, and you know Paulo Tiago has faced two of Mike Swick's teammates. So they know they both know what each other is bringing to this fight. Um, obviously, Mike Swick wants to to play the, the sprawl and brawl game here, um, avoid avoid getting this to the ground, and, and you know hit him with shots and, and run. Uh, I just don't think he's going to be able to do that the entire fight. I think Tiago is going to to be able to tie him up. He's going to be able to get him down, and when he does, he's going to be. Uh, he, I don't think he's going to dominate Mike Swick on the ground, but I think he's going to be at a, at a different level on the ground than Mike Swick. I mean, he was dead even with John Fitch basically uh, in their fight on the ground, and, and I think we can agree that John Fitch is is leaps and bounds better uh, of a grappler than Mike Swick is. Uh, Mike Swick has good takedown defense. Uh, I don't discount that. Uh, I just think Tiago is going to. I, I, I think he's. I think he's legit. I, I, I don't think he's exciting, but I think he's he's really tough. He's a really tough matchup with everybody. I almost think it was a basically a mistake bringing him in to, to fight Josh Koscheck because now you don't have much of a choice. If he wins this fight, he's going to be three and one in the UFC with some pretty good wins and, and one really close, really good loss. Uh, so he's gonna have to. He, they're gonna have to start matching him up with with guys higher up the card and start thinking about a, a title shot for Palacios at some point. Um, I kind of hope I'm wrong. Nothing against the guy. Just he just doesn't excite me. Actually, neither of these guys really excite me. I'm not a big Mike Swick fan either. Um, I don't see this as being the most exciting fight in the world. Uh, kind of what we were talking about. We'll get the exciting grappling match from Damian Maya and Dan Miller, and this will be the other other end of that spectrum uh, from where I see it. Uh, a grinded out, not very exciting decision win for Palatiago. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that being a possibility. I just, I think Swick is going to be able to connect on something here. Um, I mean, Tiago striking leaves something to be desired. He was getting picked apart by by Kostrek before he got uh, that that uppercut in, um, and that was more on Kostrek for for bending right over into that uppercut. But, uh, you know, Swick's hands, I, I've got to give him the respect he deserves because his hands have put out many a, peop, many a fighter, and uh, he's got the ability to take out Tiago in this one. Um, it very well could be a grinded-out type fight. I think Swick's going to be able to, to employ that sprawl-and-brawl uh, type style to this one. But uh, he, of all the fights on the card, I haven't really picked any underdog uh, underdogs on this card, but I think... Tiago is is the most game pick for an underdog pick because uh, uh, he does, like you said, have the tools to to really um, grind this one out and and give Swick fits on the ground should it get there. So we'll have to see on that one tomorrow. But you know, I, I'm hoping for a better fight than you are. <laughs> so am I. Um, next up, Nate Marquardt and Chael Sonnen in a number one contender bout for the middleweight championship. Um, for the first time, really, in the last couple of years, we've got a clear number one contenders bout because the winner of this will have done enough to uh, earn a title shot against Anderson Silva, whereas Silva's last few uh, title opponents have just kind of been placed into there. Uh, that's, that goes with Patrick Cote, Talis Leitis, and now Vitor Belfort. Um, 
the winner of this fight definitely has earned their stripes and earned that shot at whoever wins the Belfort Silva fight, which <clears throat> Silva. Um, we'll move on here, but Nate Marquardt is a better fighter than Chael Sonnen. Plain and simple, he is way more well-rounded, has a very good ground game, a much, uh, almost an infinitely better striking game than Chael Sonnen. But Chael Sonnen is a legit top 10 middleweight. I mean, just by, by sheer, uh, but by the sheer fact that he manhandled Yushin Okami and looked really good in doing so in his last bout, and also his, you know, three-round grind out over Dan Miller, but the Okami fight is what has earned him this shot, and if he beats Nate Marquardt, he has definitely done what he needs to do to earn a shot against Anderson Silva, and he's he's upped it even more with the, the craziness he's been spouting off leading into this fight. It's been quite entertaining. Um, he might not be the most exciting fighter to watch in the world, but he's trying to make himself, um, you know, someone at least worth listening to because of the the shit that comes out of his mouth. But at the same time, I, I don't I don't see any scenario where he beats Nate Marquardt in this fight. I just don't, and I think Nate Marquardt finds a way to uh, uh, knock him out. It might take a while. I think it'll be a third round TKO, but I think Nate Marquardt will finish him in this fight and uh, get back to that second chance uh, against Anderson Silva. Well, unfortunately, I do see a scenario where Chel Sonnen uh, wins this fight, and this is my big upset pick for the night. Uh, not one I feel terribly confident about, um, and not one I'm excited to possibly come true. But, but Chel Sonnen, the last time we saw him against Yushin Okami, who, as much as we disparage him around here, I mean, he's a very good fighter. Uh, Chel Sonnen just absolutely fought the most beautiful fight of his career. That was easily the best Chael Sonnen we've ever seen. Um, working his his kicks and his punches beautifully, mixing in takedowns after throwing his strikes, uh, just completely keeping Yushin Okami off guard the entire fight. Um, I certainly don't think Chael Sonnen can, can just stand toe-to-toe and win a fight with Nate Marquardt, but... Nate Marquardt has been successful because, as good of a striker as he is, he hasn't really faced a wrestler who's been a better wrestler than him that can put him on his back consistently. Unfortunately, that's exactly what Chael Sonnen is. Um, You know, Marquardt has a distinct advantage on the feet here, but Sonnen's no slouch, and he certainly looked improved in his last fight. Um, But if he can can mix his strikes with some takedowns, uh, you know, get in the clinch, uh, use his Greco-Roman wrestling, I'm, I can I can envision a repeat of the the Sun and Yushin Okami fight, and that's kind of what I'm seeing uh, here. Uh, I hope it doesn't happen because I I like Nate Marquardt a lot. He's an ex- he's he's turned himself into an exciting fighter, which is really uh, interesting to have seen. Um, when he first came to the UFC, he was winning a lot of fights by decision, kind of in the same manner that Chael Sonnen wins his fights, but. After he lost to Anderson Silva, he obviously knew, hey, I've got things to work on, and I need to put myself in the public eye if I want to get another title shot. So he's he's gone through a string of fantastic performances against, you know, Martin Campman and Wilson Govea and Damian Maya, uh, and if he can beat Chael Sonnen, absolutely. I mean, you can't get a more rock-solid number one contender than Nate Marco would be. Uh, at the same time, Chael Sonnen, if he wins, that'll give him three straight wins over Dan Miller, Yushin Okami, and Nate Marquardt. So, like you said, this is a this is a perfect number one contender fight. And, and who would have thought 
uh, you know, six months to a year ago that this is the, the clear-cut number one contender fight we'd be uh, seeing to, to see who gets the next crack at Anderson Silva. So I see Sonnen uh, working the same game plan that he did against Yushin Okami and, and, and winning a decision here. Uh, but like I said, I'm not confident about it, and I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I, I just I don't think that he can do that because, well, he does have a – I mean, I, I agree with you, his wrestling is better um, and, and is the type that can challenge Nate. I like Mark Hort's ground defense and wrestling better than I like uh, Sun and stand-up and his st- uh, stand-up defense, his striking defense, because I, I, I think that Mark Hort is just more well-equipped and more well-rounded um, – for winning this fight, and I, I just I just don't see that scenario playing out, and I, I hope you're wrong as well, because <laughs> I don't want to. I mean, for as nobody much as he would have earned it, nobody wants to see Chael Sonnen Anderson Silva, okay. except for Chael Sonnen and the people that want to see Anderson Silva shut him up. That's a good point. I mean, there's there's a silver lining to that cloud if it comes true, is Anderson Silva will will destroy him on the feet. So, um, yeah, I. I, I I agree with you that Nate Marquardt has a lot more ways that he can win this fight. And basically the scenario that I laid out is the only way that Chael Sonnen can win. There's no way – he's not going to come close to finishing Nate Marquardt. Like you said, Marquardt has, has great defense on the ground. He's, he's is a very, very, very good grappler. I mean, I believe he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Um, but at the same time, we haven't really seen him have to fight a whole lot off of his back against a guy that's going to be able to hold him down. So – that's that's certainly the only way that Chelsea wins this fight. It just happens to be the the scenario that I see playing out. Moving on to the main event, Randy Couture against Mark Coleman. Uh, first time two UFC Hall of Famers have faced off against one another in the octagon. It's not. It, I mean, I think this has a chance to be a really good fight. I really do. I think it's one that's going to go to a decision. I think Randy Couture is at this point in their respective careers. Uh, a better fighter than Mark Coleman. Um, has, I think he has more left in the tank. I think he's had a better resurgence than even Coleman did with his fight against Stefan Bonner. Um, I think Couture had an off night against um, uh, Brandon Vera after, with dropping down, and even then he was still able to do enough to beat Vera. I, I think the cut will be um, a little easier for him this time, uh, and, and I just think this is going to be the fight that Couture needs especially if he can look good in a victory over Mark Coleman, to set up a major money-making uh, title shot against the winner of Lyoto Machida and Shogun uh, in May. And I, I think this is just a fight that, you know, both guys are going to be coming out trying to show that they can still do this, that at 45 and 46 years of age, they are not washed up, they are not um, past being able to compete in this sport, I think we're going to see the best fighter uh, for both guys. I think we're going to see the best Randy Couture. I think we're going to see the best Mark Coleman um, that we've seen in recent fights. And I, I just think Couture overall has an edge over Coleman, and I think he wins this one by decision, and I'm hoping that it's in a good fight. Yeah, I, I think I think basically 95% of people out there are, are predicting a a co-tour decision win here, and the other 5% are predicting a co-tour PKO sometime later in the fight. Uh, I'm with the 95%. I'm with you. Co-tour by decision in this one. Um, he's he's just kind of 
uh, basically a better version of, of Mark Coleman. He's what Mark Coleman could have been had he taken the sport seriously and realized that uh, double legs and ground and pound aren't always going to be the answer to every fight. Um, you know, Randy Couture has worked on the strike diligently. Um, he, he's become very adept at submissions. Certainly that's not his strongest point, but still something he's very good at, far better than Mark Coleman is. Um, and I agree with you that we're going to see the best that each fighter has right now. I just don't think that's going to be all that much. Um, Mark Coleman just doesn't look like a guy who, who really needs to be fighting to me anymore. Um, Randy Couture, while he's lost the steps, still looks like a natural fighter in there. Um, I, I really hope if Randy Couture wins this fight that they don't shoot him right to a title shot. It's not that I have anything against Randy Couture. It's not that I wouldn't want to see him fight either Machida or Shogun. It's just that you can't drop down uh, to a different weight class and beat Brandon Vera and Mark Coleman and and get a title shot. Uh, that flies in the face of pure sport. Um, neither of those guys are uh, within shouting distance of the top ten right now. Um, I, I would have no problem if Couture wins this fight, matching him up against... Uh, you know, a Forrest Griffin or a Rich Franklin or uh Rogerio Noguera or somebody along those lines, somebody that's a legitimate top ten light heavyweight, a legitimate contender, and, and saying, well, here's here's the number one. And especially if if uh Rogerio can get past Forrest Griffin, I think uh, that would be a very fun fight to match up Lil Nog and Couture and, and, you know, call it a number one contender fight. And I think that people could buy that and, and that would be fine. Um I just don't want to see Randy Couture win this fight in the same, in the exact same manner that he won the, the Brandon Vera fight, and I'm worried that's how it's going to play out. And then the UFC say, well, obviously Randy Couture is, he's still got it, and, you know, strike while the iron's hot type of situation. Um, but I, I figure that, that that is what's going to happen, and I, I don't see this being like a, a real standout performance by Randy Couture. I, I see it being a convincing win, but when you're fighting against a 45-year-old Mark Coleman, you need something a little more than a convincing win to, to get a title shot from it. You know, I agree with you with that. I think uh, uh, it is going to take something more than just, you know, looking decent and looking okay in a decision victory. Even if it is, you know, a one-sided decision, I, I think it, it will take something more than that to justify a title shot. Um I just think at this point that should he should he pull that off, should he pull off an impressive victory uh, against Coleman and look really good in doing so, there's just too much of a story of him going for a sixth title um, after being the heavyweight champion after retirement and going coming back into the game and everything. And at 46 years of age, there's too much of a story and too much money for the UFC to make off of Randy Couture in another title shot for them to sacrifice him against, um, you know, Little Nog or Forrest or something like that in, in that type of fight in between. Now, if he just, you know, does what you think he'll do in, in a decision that is convincing but not very good, you know, not very exciting, not very impressive other than being a victory, uh, I'm with you that they should definitely match him up with someone else on the way to a title shot. But... If he does look really good against Coleman, I think the UFC 
is absolutely going to put him in a title shot. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I, I think if he does have a really impressive performance, that's what's going to happen. I just feel like, uh, you know, before the Brandon Vera fight, he signed a new, what, six-fight deal. So it's not like he's it's not like he's going to retire if he doesn't get granted in the title shot. So um, I think it's worth the wait for the fans. Obviously, he has a lot of goodwill built up with, with fans, both hardcore and casual, that nobody would really uh, bat an eye if he was given this title shot. I just feel like there's other um, worthy contenders, especially the winner of the you know Rashad Rampage fight coming up, that would be a, a better choice to match up uh, with the winner of Shogun. Uh, Machida first and, and let Couture get a, a win over a, a truly legitimate contender uh, at the same time. But but I think we're in agreement that that's that's not what the UFC is going to do. They're gonna they're gonna throw Couture into the the title shot if they can, and it's gonna sell big and, and it'll be a fun fight and a fun atmosphere. I just uh, from a from a purely sports standpoint, I just wish they would make him get a, a win over a top ten opponent. I mean, look at. Look at what Nate Marquardt is having to go through to get another crack at Anderson Silva. Um, that would just be his second title shot. Randy Couture has held five different titles and, you know, fought for the title in, you know, some like 20 out of his 26 fights or something like that. So he's had his time in the sun, and I understand the uh, wanting to, to cash in on, on him one more time. Um, I just hope that's not the way it plays out. Let's uh, wrap things up with a quick look at the four Undercard fights uh, that may or may not make television. If uh, if the last few events with Spike TV prelims are any indication, we're likely to see at least uh, two or three of these uh, four fights make some part of the broadcast. Um, as with with the Spike TV prelims, we've been seeing nine to ten fights from each card. Um, but uh, Holes Gracie makes his debut against Joey Beltran. Beltran's taking this fight on a week's notice because Mustafa El-Turk had some visa issues and dropped out of this fight. Um, Beltran signed a four-fight deal with the UFC. He's a 10-3 and three heavyweight, but Gracie is far too good on the ground. Um, the name alone tells you all you need to know about how this fight's going to go down. Beltran has not had nearly enough time to train for this fight. Um, I, I think Gracie takes him out with a first-round submission. I don't think Beltran can last five minutes um, with Gracie with as little training for this fight as he's had. Uh, you're, you're picking this one. Same, same as you, Gracie, uh, first-round submission. Uh, Beltran has uh, a couple nice wins over a couple of, of decent names, but they're in fights with guys who are willing to stand and, and bang with them, and, and Hall's Gracie is not going to be dumb and do something like that. He knows this is his, his big chance on the big stage. He's not going to waste any time. Um, he's going to set up a takedown, get a takedown, and, and you know, flip a coin to see what, what he wants to tap him with. Uh, and uh, I would be surprised if it lasts more than a couple of minutes. Agreed. Moving on, Tim Hag and Chris Tuxer in a heavyweight bout. Uh, Hag's coming off the fastest knockout in UFC history, but on the wrong end of it, losing in seven seconds to Todd Duffy. Chris Tuxer uh, got a bad, um, had a bad first experience in the octagon, uh, taking what was one of the most vicious low-blow kicks uh, we've seen in the UFC, and due to some ineptitude by the officials and um, those kind of handling things, he continued on in the fight, and he was clearly uh, affected neg- negatively by uh, that low kick. Um, he had actually 
gone unconscious and threw up, and yet they let him continue in that fight. I don't know why they did that. Uh, Tuxer's a better fighter than Tim Hag. Tuxer's going to take him out in the second round, ground and pound, TKO. Uh, he's a much better wrestler, uh, and I, I think he's going to hit harder than Tim Hag in this fight. I just uh, I, I don't think Hag's got what it takes to hang with with Tuxer, who trains with Brock Lesnar and some really big heavyweights as it is. Um, I like Tuxer in this fight, provided that uh, he doesn't get kicked in the nuts again. <laughs> yeah, I got Tuxer in this one, too. I think he's the one that gets his uh, redemption in this fight. Um, uh, Higgs' only real hope is that Tuxer stupidly decides to stand and bang with him, and I don't think he's going to do that. Uh, like you said, Tuxer trains with, with Brock Lesnar. He's going to take him down uh, at will, and he's going to pound him. Um, I, I don't see a finish in this one, but I, I see it being a pretty pretty uh, one-sided decision win for, for Tuxer. Moving on, Brian Stan and Phil Davis. Uh, Davis, a D1 national champion wrestler from Penn State University. Um, it's also a jiu-jitsu blue belt under Lloyd Irvin. Um, has a 4-0 start to his career, making his UFC debut here. Uh, Brian Stan, of course, is a former WEC light heavyweight champion. Um, has a couple of decision victories in the UFC, but uh, I like Davis to, to make an impressive debut here. Uh, he's a little bit bigger than Stan. Um, Stan's not a very exciting fighter. He doesn't really finish his opponents too often. Um, I mean, he hasn't in higher competition. He was finishing guys in the WEC, but um, the UFC's light heavyweight division is a completely different story. I, I think Davis makes a... a Makes a splash in this one. I, I like him with a second round submission. Yeah, unless unless Brian Stan has been working with Eddie Bravo on his rubber guard, I don't think he stands a much of a chance in this fight. Um, his only chance is to to stand on the feet and, and try and pick Phil Davis apart. But Davis isn't going to give him a chance. Uh, you know, he's a, a collegiate champion wrestler. He's gonna he's gonna take Brian Stan down and, and never let him up. Um, except when the when the bell sounds in between rounds. Um, I don't think. Stan's a tough guy, uh, but I and I don't think Davis is is too far along in his progression that he's gonna get a finish in this one. But uh, same as the the Tuxer Hague fight, basically, I, I see Davis with a a dominating, convincing decision win in this one. And our final prelim of the night: Rob Emerson against Felipe Nover. This is uh, another one of those loser leaves UFC fights. Um, both of them have lost uh, a couple in a row. Nover, of course, had uh, the seizure-like symptoms before his last scheduled fight against Stan Stout. That fight was canceled just hours before the fight. Um, he's seemingly gotten things under control and figured out with that. Uh, Emerson is an 8-8 eight eight fighter. He's had some stretches of uh, very good performances. Um, I think Nover's, you know, Nover's a younger fighter. He's got a lot of upside. Uh, he was highly praised on the Ultimate Fighter Season 8. I think he gets back on track a little bit in this one. He's still got a long way to go to really compete in the UFC, but I think he's going to be a, prove to be a better fighter than Rob Emerson in this one, like Felipe with a second-round submission. Um, I think this is a bad matchup for, for Nover. Um, I think his best chance to win this is on the ground, but he's he's not a very good wrestler. Um, he's, a, a talent, he's a relatively talented submission artist if it's on the ground, um, but he's not an expert at getting it there, and it's going to be really tough against Rob Emerson to get uh, the fight to the ground. Rob Emerson has fantastic takedown defense and uh, a really solid chin. Uh, I think they're, it's going to end up just being a, a sparring match, basically, with guys with both guys trading shots back and forth. Um, 
Nova, I think, might land more shots in this one, but I think Emerson's chin is gonna gonna make it look like he's not taking any damage. Whereas when he lands punches, I think it's gonna he's gonna you know have a little more damage on on Nova when it happens. So uh, I think it'll be. I really hope we get to see this fight because I think it's gonna be a fun stand-up fight uh, in a card full of fights that I don't think are gonna be spending too much time on the feet. Um, and, and I like Emerson uh, taking this one by decision too. Well, we've got a lot of differing opinions on these fights, so we'll uh, we'll see which one of our um, sets of bad predictions comes out uh, as the correct one tomorrow night. And then, uh, of course, we'll be back with uh, a review edition. We'll try to get back on track with our uh, preview and review audios here this weekend and uh, heading into UFC 110 later in the month. But uh, uh, tomorrow night, if you're tuning in, make sure to... Uh, check out our, our live round-by-round updates on the on the card as it airs on Spike TV and Pay-Per-View. Uh, and even if you're not watching the, the fights, uh, read along and find out what's going on. Uh, I'm hoping for a much better fight, uh, fight card than you're expecting tomorrow, uh, but I, I think we should be in for at least a few really good fights, um, hopefully more than that. Yeah, and uh, real quick, just for everybody uh, listening, be sure to get your picks in for the prediction and betting contests. Uh, the information's online. should be at the, the top of the page. Um, you can either submit your picks on the message boards in the comments section or by emailing me at matt6buckeye at hotmail.com. So get your picks in before Saturday. Uh, contests are a lot of fun, so take part in it. All right, Matt. We will talk to you uh, Sunday after the event and uh, look forward to uh, seeing your comments uh and hearing what you have to say after, um, you know, your predictions are proven to be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you later, man. All right, man. Bye.